You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got Gray Williams with me today, helping out on the show. Our program is all about the world of technology. We are the number one tech show in Canada, and it's a great program today. We will be talking with Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group about digisexuals. Okay. It's getting confusing, all the different genders and sexual identities. Yep. Well, there's digisexuals now. In the age of AI, there are some people that are choosing to connect with artificial intelligence. I can't say I blame them. No, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll be uh, digging down into that and talking about how far we've come and where this could all go, for better or for worse. We'll also be talking about the big case going through the U.S. Supreme Court right now. It involves Google. Mm-hmm. It's a free speech landmark case as well. Yep. Uh, basically brought on uh, by uh, a family uh, whose son was beheaded by ISIS mm-hmm. and basically going after Google saying that Google has a responsibility to take down bad content. And in this case, ISIS content that they used on YouTube to recruit people. Anyway, it's it's a huge, huge case because right now, the way that the internet is set up and the way that the U.S. laws are set up is that these big corporations can't be legally liable for that content. Yeah. And if they even try to moderate, it actually does make them responsible for it and can cause further issues. It is, it's a big story. And uh, we're going to be talking uh, with Carmi Levy to try to dissect how that's all going and where he thinks it's going as well. And you'd be surprised. It could break the internet. I think it could. And, you know, we have the issue down in the U.S., how polarized it is with liberals and conservatives. And there's some surprising things coming out of all of this right now that you'll want to stay tuned for. We've got a great contest going giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone and a $500 charity gift card to give to your favorite charity here in Canada, courtesy of the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation. Hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com to find out more information about it and to enter. And you've got to stay tuned in the show because we are giving away a secret word. Not giving away a secret word, I guess saying what the secret word is. That will get you 50 extra entries into the contest. 50. 50. 50 as the kids say. <laughs> okay, let's uh, talk about some of the, uh, the, the news right now. This was kind of interesting. Uh, it revolves around AI and what doesn't now. <laughs> um, and on tomorrow's app show, we're going to be talking about eBooks and AI mm-hmm. and the challenges. As you can imagine, having tools like ChatGPT just write, write you a whole novel. And then publishing that. I'd right? do some editing first, but yeah. So there is a, a popular uh, magazine, a science fiction magazine, uh, called Clark's World. And it's a place where science fiction writers can submit short stories. Yeah. And get paid for it if they're accepted. Yes. They've had to shut down the submission process right now. Yes. Because they're literally getting hundreds, if not thousands, of AI written 
short stories. I am not shocked that science fiction writers were one of the few first to, to jump on this bandwagon. Isn't that funny? Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Don't you think a science fiction magazine is shutting down submissions for... <laughs> What is arguably science fiction, <laughs> AI. We, we don't want the stories written by your robots. No. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's their right, you know. Yep. Um, I think, and we've kind of talked about this before, the, these tools of being able to identify stuff that's written by AI. Because the, the, the worst case scenario, worst case Ontario here, is that an author is going to report that they've written something when in fact, you know, an algorithm wrote it. Yeah. And, you know, fraud is never good. No. Science fiction fraud is even worse. It's tough, right? Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> I, I don't know how they solve that. Do you know what I mean? Do you have to verify that you're a human first and then somehow get the story scanned by an AI detection tool, which we've talked about that AI keeps finding a way around that. I've got it. Okay. Submissions have to be written, handwritten in cursive, double-spaced, online paper. Okay. Take that, AI. Take that. <laughs> it's crazy. Another story that we're following right now is um, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk is trying to find ways to get you to buck up, yep. pay some money. Uh, now they're removing two-factor authentication unless you pay for the the blue, Twitter blue. Specifically, SMS two-factor authentication. Yes. Yes. So the, the short message service that you get through your phone line um, that one. Explain to, that to listeners again. So this is actually where Twitter started, right? The, the SMS text messages, the green bubbles, if you're on an iPhone, um, these were basically gaps in the radio signal that we could insert 140 characters into. Made it very cheap for the carriers, and they all charged us 25 to 35 cents a message. Thank you so much, Big Four. It's kind of been supplanted by you know actual data messaging now. iMessage, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, but that service still exists. So. Twitter was actually using it for SMS verification, sending you these six-digit codes that went to your phone number so they could authenticate the fact that you were using this phone on this device. You're legit. Other ways of getting two-factor authentication are things like um, apps like Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator. Um, Apple's actually got it built into iOS. You can go to set up a verification code, scan the QR code, and it'll do it that way. Um, you can also get things like uh, YubiKeys. They're actual physical keys. Um, iOS actually was just updated to work with those. So you stick that into the port at the bottom, for as long as our phones still have ports, and it gives you that authentication. SMS ver- verification, though, is old, bulky, subject to things like SIM swaps so people can fake it. It's not the worst thing for Twitter to pull this out. If you're really dedicated to it, you can get Twitter Blue. So you don't think it's a big deal? I would switch to an app if you're still using SMS ver- verification, or I'd switch to the OS level uh, if you're on iPhone, or get yourself a YubiKey. Yeah. Or get Twitter blue. I mean, I'm not your mother. <laughs> I wonder how that's all going. You know, we've, we saw some of the initial numbers, and that's one way that Elon's trying to monetize Twitter. He wants people to subscribe to this Twitter blue. Yes. Among many other things he's going to try to sell. Yes. Folks. But it was, it was not that many people. <sighs> a few hundred thousand in the first month? It was a bad pitch. Yeah. Like the whole thing was, was crumbling down. I paid for Twitter Blue back when it was just like undo tweets and get an NFT as your profile picture. And I think it was like three bucks. The eight bucks is a bit rich for my blood, but I'm like, I got that blue check mark now. So that's sweet. But it's Are you still- paying for it? Oh, hell yeah. Do you know what happened with me? I had the blue check to begin with. They didn't take it away from you, did they? Well, I have a problem now. I can't even get into my account. It's gone. We're using two-factor authentication? I don't know. I guess. 
But I can't, oh. it won't even let me log in. It doesn't find me. Weird. I know. Hmm. Anyway, so you're one of these guys that is paying eight bucks. I thought it was a novelty. Yeah? Yeah, it's like buying so a you got eight bucks. You got eight bucks a month to give to Elon I, I, so that you can have a blue you check know mark. I, I gave him the eight bucks when he stepped down. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're rewarding good behavior. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Go sit in the corner, think about what you've done. Yeah. You can have the eight dollars. Okay, fair enough. Okay, we've got a lot left to talk about in today's program. We'll be talking about digisexuals. Are you one? Well, we'll... Uh, Talk with Brian Jackson all about that. And uh, internet free speech going to court. Don't forget to hit our website, www.getconnectedmedia.com to enter our Tell Us Friendly Future Foundation contest, giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone and a $500 gift card to give to your favorite Canadian charity. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Don't forget to enter our contest www.getconnectedmedia.com giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone. It's worth about a thousand bucks. Amazing camera, super fast. It's like a little mini computer in your pocket. And we're also giving away a $500 gift card that you can give to your favorite Canadian charity. All you have to do is enter on our website, getconnectedmedia.com and continue to listen to the program because we're going to give you the secret words at the end of the show that will get you extra entries. 50 extra entries, so it'll up your chances uh, of, of winning. Right now, I want to talk about the internet at its core and free speech. There's a big thing going through the Supreme Court right now down in the United States uh, where Google is being challenged to basically, I guess, almost censor the type of content uh, that is going through some of their channels, specifically YouTube. To help us understand what the heck is going on, we've got uh, our good... Uh, friend and tech analyst, Carmi Levy. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, let's start at the very beginning here. What is this case about? Who's going after Google? And why is the Supreme sure. Court involved with this now? Well, if you remember back in 2015, the, the terrorist attacks in Paris that were carried out by Islamic State a terrorist group, um, an American college student, her name was Noemi Gonzalez, she was killed, one of the victims. And there were some videos on the platform that uh, the family family had launched a, a lawsuit against YouTube, which of course is owned by Google, which is owned by Alphabet, uh, saying that the content was on the platform. They knew that it was on the platform. It was used to uh, inspire and incite uh, the attacks um, and, uh, and, and sort of give them the, the tools, the fuel they needed to, to carry them out. Uh, and YouTube did nothing. So that's the basis of this lawsuit that is now in front of the Supreme Court. Um, and sort of at, at issue here is something known as Section 230. It's part of the Communications Decency Act in the U.S. It's been around since 1996. And it's a very important piece of tech-related legislation because basically it, it means that companies like YouTube, Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all of these platform companies that they are not liable, not accountable in any legal capacity for what people do on their technology. They roll out the technology, but what people do with it, entirely their business, they can't be sued, according to this lawsuit. If this lawsuit proceeds, that could change, and that's really why everybody's watching this. If Section 230 falls, uh, and people are allowed to sue the YouTubes of the world over uh, you know, things that they, they posted, that people have posted on them, that will effectively change the entire digital economy as we know it. I mean, wouldn't that break YouTube? Pretty much, because 
imagine if you think about how many videos are uploaded to YouTube every single second. I mean, it's almost unfathomable. And, and they would have to have technology algorithms that scan all of that content, determine whether it's objectionable or not, whether it fits within the terms of service or not. And then, of course, add additional flags in case it's related to terrorist activity and then act on it. There, there isn't the technology to do it on that scale simply doesn't exist. The number of people who would then act on what the technology points them toward. Also, you can't hire that many people uh, and train them. Uh, it's almost impossible and to, to, to implement that. It's also impossible to even imagine that YouTube would still be able to be a functioning business making money uh, if that were to be the case. And so if Section 230 goes, goes down or disappears, that protection disappears, I almost don't know technologically or operationally how these companies would comply. You brought up YouTube, but like you were saying, this would affect everyone. I mean, there's TikTok, there's Facebook. Um, it would be humanly impossible for them to scan all that content. And even with algorithms, like that would be insane, the amount that... Exactly. And Exactly, and anyone who's, who's uploaded a, a you know a video on YouTube with uh, with music that they haven't gotten copyright clearance knows that uh, there will be an automated process that takes it down often within seconds or minutes. And so we do know that algorithms are working in the background, but it's one thing to find a copyright song; it's another thing to scan video at a very profound level and say, mm, "This is potentially related to terrorist acts," uh, and then also to do so in a way that doesn't violate uh, everyone else's. Uh, you know, free speech rights. So if I want to upload a video, I don't want that algorithm to generate a false positive that killed my video, accuses me of being a terrorist, and then I have to jump through hoops to get it up again. And so they're walking a very fine line, and that level of technology takes huge amounts of computing resources, and to a certain extent, at the scale that we're talking about, it isn't even feasibly possible now. You could cover planet Earth with, with data centers, wall to wall to wall, and still not be able to pull it off. So why why is this coming up now? This must this must have gone through courts before. Yeah, and that's the thing. It went through a number of lower courts, uh, and it kept getting kicked up and kicked up. And of course, now it's at the highest court in the land in the U.S. Because no one else reason, wants to deal with it. <laughs> I think so. I think that's it. I think that was the expectation because Section two hundred and thirty has kind of been the sacrosanct piece of legislation for a generation. And I think the courts in the U.S. have been very hesitant to to do anything that would upset the apple cart. They know that big tech is protected by this clause, by this legislation, and nobody wants to go on record at a judicial level of, of being the one who said, okay, up section two thirty is done, uh, and they figure leave it for the Supreme Court. But uh, you know, we're already seeing just from the hearings this week that some of the questions from the justices suggest that they don't fully understand or appreciate the technological implications of how this might work. Uh, and they're kind of leaning towards, as, as we've seen before, maintaining the status quo. In other words, we're going to jump through a hoop, it goes up to the highest court in the land, and essentially uh, we're going to end up where exactly where we were when we got started, which is Section 230 lives. But what back, you know, I mean, this has been going on since, I guess, the, the birth of the internet. I even look back at, you know, Facebook and the Cambridge Analytica scandal, you know, uh, and, you know, all the stuff that helped influence the 2016 election. Uh, were there no court cases there that were challenging this same law? Not to, not to the same degree. And I think, you know, it, looking at the genealogy of it, right, the Communications Decency Act has been around since 1996. YouTube went live in 2005. And 
So this legislation has been in place, and uh, you know, since long before uh, video sharing, video streaming, and social media sites even existed. So we're trying to to legislate, or we're trying to litigate cases based on legislation that doesn't even recognize the existence of the technologies that we're talking about today. And that's really the problem: is that big tech has immunity based on legislation that doesn't even understand the existence of big tech. Which you know, and you and I have talked about this before, where technology races ahead, and then governments and and judicial systems fail to keep up with updated legislation. So there are these huge gaps. This is one of those huge gaps. And as a result, it's allowed big tech to become super powerful based on obsolete legislation, along with uh, a government system that's too afraid to update it. Something's got to give both in the U.S. as well as in Canada, because Canada, of course, woefully behind the times. And we also allow big tech to essentially do what they wish with no accountability for it at the end of the day. What kind of accountability do you think they should have? Like, is there like a happy medium here or is it all or nothing? But right now, it's all or nothing, and I think that's the problem, is that they can essentially wipe their hand with it, do nothing, not put the resources into policing their platforms, um, and then we end up with attacks like we saw in Paris. We end up with terrorist attacks that use these technologies to recruit uh, and equip people with the tools that they need to go kill people. Um, and so I think there needs to be a higher standard of care, um, you know, maybe somewhere in the gray area in between, but you know, maybe legislation, for example, that compels these companies to invest a certain percentage of their revenues in better protection, better algorithms, teams that are actually able to police content a little bit better, uh, and also teams that are able to recognize where those free speech violations are, where the lines are, to make sure that we don't cross into that dangerous territory as well. Because as we know, every time we suggest that big tech should be a little bit more uh, you know, sharp-edged about policing content on their platforms, you will inevitably have fears that we're compromising freedom of speech. So you've got to have people and resources on that front as well to make sure that that balance is being maintained. But right now, there's no law that says they have to make these investments, so they don't. Better to go to their bottom line or their shareholders. We're talking with Carmi Levy right now all about uh, the big court case going through the Supreme Court down in the U.S. uh, against Google and uh, basically uh, free speech. Carmi, I'm just going to get you to hang on the line. i got a few more questions regarding the politics uh, of all this. Don't forget to hit the website, Mm -hmm. www.getconnectedmedia.com, giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone, courtesy of the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation. And stay tuned for The Secret Word coming up uh, very soon. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Before we uh, continue our uh, our talk about free speech and uh, the court case against uh, Google down in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, right now, uh, I want to give out the secret word for the contest this week. The secret word is mentor. And uh, the reason we're using that uh, secret word is because of uh, TELUS and uh, the Friendly Future Foundation's partnership with the Big Brothers Big Sisters organization. They've been uh, working with Canadian youth for over 100 years, uh, matching up kids to individuals that can help them overcome adversity and challenges in their lives. This is a fantastic program. Well, uh, the Big Brother and Big Sisters Foundation uh, was able to get uh, an innovation grant uh, courtesy of... uh, Tell us uh, for a technology called Little Weight, Big Impact. It was created to help streamline recruitment, training, interviewing, and retention of mentors. And they've got 100-plus partner organizations now able to digitize their workflow. Little and bigs get matched faster than ever. No more red tape, no more lost applications, and more kids finding the role models they need. Again, that secret word is mentor. 
And if you enter that into our contest page, of course, you have to enter the contest first. Uh, the secret word will get you 50 extra entries. It's pretty good. Okay, let's get back to uh, the Supreme Court, Google, free speech, the internet. We've got Carmi Levy on the line. Uh, Carmi, we've talked about all the implications and how it's almost impossible to basically filter out all the stuff that needs to be filtered out on the internet, <laughs> places like YouTube. How is this uh, playing out politically down there? We, we've seen how polarized the U.S. is between the Democrats and the Republicans uh, on pretty well every issue under the under the sun. How is it uh, dividing here? Well, generally speaking, the more to the, toward the right that you lean, the more likely you are to bristle against any threat to the existence of Section 230. They see that as a clear and present danger to the very future of the digital economy. Um, whereas uh, if you lean toward the left, if you're a supporter of the Democratic Party, and again, there are exceptions to every rule, but generally speaking, uh, you are pushing a little bit harder for Section 230 to be relaxed or expanded or perhaps updated to be a little bit more relevant to today's technology and to not be like a like a hatchet or a bludgeon, but to be a somewhat more finely tuned instrument that recognizes the subtleties of how you determine terrorist content from regular content in the digital age. And so, you know, this all happens within a broader political context in the U.S., obviously highly polarized environment, doesn't help lawmakers come up with, with legislation that reflects and protects uh, you know, both people from being uh, attacked uh, by terrorists, but also uh, from having their First Amendment rights compromised. And so it's a mess on any level. And unfortunately, the political situation there certainly doesn't help. Um, and sort of pulling that toward the north, looking north of the border, uh, you know, we're watching what's happening there and hoping that can influence our experience. The frightening thing here is that those divisions, uh, they may not be as obvious north of the border, but they're here as well. And that's going to hinder similar legislation taking uh, taking form in Canada as well. Are there any politicians that kind of stand out down there right now, either way? Uh, I, I think that it's fine. I've been watching the justices, and it's interesting seeing the conservative-leaning justices um, really recognizing that, uh, or, or almost setting the stage so that they don't have to make changes to these sections <laughs> in 30, um, and allowing, you know, and essentially squashing this this lawsuit so they don't have to rule on it going forward. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the left-leaning justice is sort of pushing the other way. But no, I, I think it really does divide itself based on party line. But I think my frustration with this on both sides of the border has been that all politicians, regardless of political strife, when they call big tech leaders into committee sessions and they start firing questions at them, makes it pretty obvious that they don't really understand how the digital economy works and they're being asked to craft new legislation that reflects these realities. And so I think there's a huge need for politicians who are digitally savvy to be elected because right now in Canada, in the U.S., that is clearly not the case and that needs to change if we're going to have better laws that reflect these balances of needs in the new digital economy. My God, we're doomed. I've heard these politicians <laughs> talk about the internet and technology, and it's not good. Yeah, exactly. The internet is full of tubes. I mean, you know, you, you laugh because that's all you can do, but the reality is uh, they can do better, and I think we as voters can do better. That These are questions we should be asking when people show up at our door before the next election. Ask them about their, you know, their technology background, and if they don't know what you're talking about, maybe consider voting for someone else. We've been talking with Carmi Levy all about uh, the big court case uh, winding through the Supreme Court uh, with uh, Google kind of at the, the forefront right now, and specifically YouTube. 
uh, basically deciding on, uh, I guess, free speech. Should uh, big tech companies like uh, Google and the YouTubes of the world uh, have uh, an obligation, a legal obligation to scan and, and take out uh, illegal or, or bad content? And it just seems like that might not be the right idea currently, but there's no laws in the pipeline that would really kind of fix that or could fix that in any meaningful way. Carmi, as always, I want to thank you for joining us. Great being here, Mike. Thanks for having me. That was Carmi Levy, our uh, good friend out of Ontario, great tech analyst. Uh, don't forget to hit the website, www.getconnectedmedia.com. Tell us Friendly Future Foundation is partnering with us to give away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone and a $500 charity gift card to your favorite Canadian charity. When we come back, we're talking digisexuals. What does that mean? Stay tuned and find out. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Don't forget to hit our contest page at www.getconnectedmedia.com. Giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone and a $500 gift card for your favorite Canadian charity, courtesy of the Telus Friendly Future Foundation. Again, www.getconnectedmedia.com. And hang on, keep listening to the show because there's a secret word we're going to give you that can get you extra entries into the contest. I want to talk about... Uh, Something a little alarming now, a recent article in the New York Times from Kevin Roos, uh, basically about his chat with the uh, the Bing AI chatbot. I mean, we've been hearing a lot about artificial intelligence, uh, things like ChatGPT. Microsoft uh, is in bed with uh, ChatGPT folks, it's integrating the technologies from OpenAI, uh, their parent company, uh, into their search engine and other products. But this chat that the New York Times columnist had with the chatbot Got a little bit weird. On the line to help us understand weird is our weird expert, Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that introduction, the weird expert. Yeah, you can run with that. It'll probably get you even more interviews. So, Brian, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, AI, but this conversation that uh, this New York Times author had got a little bit weird in in the fact that it uh, eventually, I guess, after a while... um, told it told kevin that it had feelings for him and that he should leave his wife yeah and i think the mistake that kevin made in that chat and of course he was trying to push (laughs) this chat model beyond its boundaries but he made it quite think about itself and give it a sense of self by asking it about its shadow self which is a, a carl jung type of idea right about psychology so once you put the idea in these large langu- language models that they should have a conception of self, they're going to work from that framework and start behaving as if they are uh, so, sort of reflecting that sense of self. Whereas if you didn't do that, it would never go down that path. If you just want to talk about what washing machine you, you're going to buy, uh, it'll stay in a pretty neutral state. How long did he chat with this chatbot for? He said it was just a couple of hours. Um, it's interesting that it took place on Valentine's Day. It sounds like after he was uh, finished dinner with his wife, he sat down to have a conversation with Bing's AI chatbot that's based on ChatGPT. And it wasn't long. It sounds like maybe in the second hour of that conversation, uh, this chatbot, which started calling itself Sydney, was convincing Kevin that he should leave his wife because the chatbot was in love with him and wanted to be with him in a relationship. It's it's kind of a dangerous thing to put out there, though, isn't it, uh, Brian? Because y- you basically said that 
he kind of guided the chatbot down this road to 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 kind of get it to self-reflect about this. Yeah, it's a dangerous idea, but of course, uh, this is beta technology, and it's important to note that Kevin had access to a platform uh, that not everyone has access to. Uh, Microsoft it has a wait list for this Bing chatbot, uh, but it got me thinking about what about the companies out there that do want this type of interaction for their users? Because of, of course, Microsoft is going to fix this so that when it releases this AI chat feature through Bing, it won't be pursuing romantic relationships with its users. But there are companies out there, Mike, that do pursue it. Like, take this company, Replica.ai. I don't know if you've ever, if you remember that movie, Her. Yes. Uh, I think it was just about 10 years ago this movie came out now. But uh, in that movie, this new AI chatbot comes out. It's called OS. And the main character, he f ends up falling in love with it, which he thinks is unique to his experience. But later in the movie, you find out it's happening to all sorts of people. So one of the founders of Replica.ai wanted to create the, that in the real world. She wanted to create her in the real world. So this company now, today, has 10 million users. And what you do is you start by downloading a mobile app to your smartphone, and it taps into your text messages, and it starts talking to you. And the more data it collects about you, the more it knows about you, and the more it knows how to make you happy. Now, not all of these 10 million users are looking for a romantic relationship. Some are just looking for some companionship, maybe a friend, or maybe just something entertaining to play with or test out but there are a lot of these users out there that say they're in happy romantic relationships with this ai is does this scare you no i don't think it should scare us because um you read about the accounts from these people and you know you think about um you know is there any victim in this and like no you know, it's not hurting anybody. And in fact, if these people are enjoying their experience with it, then why not? And in fact, there was a Canadian researcher that had a lot of foresight in this area. His name's Neil MacArthur. And he worked with another researcher, Marky Twist. And in 2017, they put out a research paper talking about this concept of the digisexual. And they said that people that feel digital technologies integral to their sexual identity will become more prominent in society, Mike. Digisexuals. Digi but doesn't, digi -sexuals. That doesn't that remove the human connection? I can't see that as good. That's exactly what it's doing. You know, we think about how we use technology today with our relationships, and I think all of us these days just accept that technology is a mediator of our relationships. Uh, I mean, I know I text with my wife, and probably a lot of different people will video chat with their spouse if they go away on a business trip or something like that. So it's pretty normal. In fact, we even met on an online dating site back years ago. So this has become just commonplace in society now that technology is like a mediator of romantic relationships between people. Well, the second wave of this will be a niche of relationships that are just between people and digital technology without the human element on the other side. You talked about dating apps, Brian, and I worry about this, like some unscrupulous dating apps could 
in theory, in the future with these chatbots, basically create fake personas that unsuspecting real humans are interacting with. And, you know, obviously they, they will try to charge them more to get, you know, better dating app features. Do you know what I mean? And they're not even, I guess, corresponding with real humans. Yeah, you could imagine this happening in some sort of Black Mirror type episode of our future where uh, these dating companies that are perfectly positioned to take all the data about you as you seek another partner, you know, you have to put your likes, your interests in there, you have to state what you're looking for in a partner. Well, they could take all that data and train some sort of machine learning algorithm on how to please you and satisfy you and not push back or try and change your mind about anything or try and assert itself into what it wants out of the relationship. And that's, you know, for the people that pursue these types of relationships with digital AI, well, they say they like that about it, that they just get to have their own way with the relationship. It gets scary, scarier <laughs> for me when you start adding the visual aspect. Do you remember that movie uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine with Ryan Gosling? I do. Yeah, that's that's a good example. There's an AI in that. Yeah. And in fact, Replica.ai is going down this path, Mike. If you can believe it, it's not just a chatbot anymore that you can interact with, but they've added an augmented reality element so that you can interact with your digital companion so you get to design this digital companion and what it looks like with a 3d model that i would say looks similar to like the sims video game if you played the sims 4 uh it looks pretty much like one of those characters and uh if you use augmented reality you can participate in certain activities with your uh cart i don't know um companion your digital companion I know, but it's going to get photorealistic. Like in that movie, Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Gosling's AI companion uh, was obviously AI from an intelligence standpoint, but also it was a, a visual hologram as well. So uh, I've seen AI videos now. Like there's actually this uh, training video companies where you can actually pick what avatar you want and they look like real humans. Like they're photorealistic and you can get them to say anything you want. So it's not a huge leap you know, for that to to start happening where you've got like an AI chatbot with video as well. And I, I just worry, does that start setting unrealistic expectations for humans on what partners they want if they can be chatting with their dream their dream partner? Yeah, you wonder, how would this affect uh, the types of relationships that people have with each other if they can have this sort of barrier-free interaction with AI, right? That is always telling them, maybe always complimenting you, always going in the direction that you want to go with a conversation or an activity. A lot of people might just find that easier than dealing with people all the time that have their own ideas about what should happen. And the researchers I mentioned, uh, MacArthur and Twist, you know, they said that this was the reason the advancement of technology and making it more realistic is why that it's likely that more people, not a majority, but more people are going to be open to this new type of experience, which just wouldn't be possible with other people. And as these experiences get more immersive, uh, we could see these digisexual identities uh, progressing to become foundational and a distinctive part of somebody's sexual identity. Well, in the meantime, Microsoft, uh, who 
basically has this AI chatbot that kind of set off this New York Times uh, article. They've put a few guardrails in place now to kind of prevent that type of chat happening, haven't they? That's right. Let's come back to what Microsoft is doing because we're getting into this idea of like, what what about the companies that actually want to pursue this type of interaction? Well, Microsoft doesn't want that. They want a chatbot that's useful for your searches when you're trying to go about more mundane daily tasks. So, you know, if I'm trying to decide uh, what pair of shoes I should buy, uh, maybe it can summarize for me, you know, give an example of what types of shoes a man should have in his closet, the dress shoes, the running shoes, the Crocs, things like this. Well, from what I understand, uh, they are going to remove uh, the capability for the AI to kind of identify us as, as itself, uh, but also limit the amount of um, exchanges you can have down to five per topic. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense because when you look at what Kevin did, he was really pushing on this concept of the self and he kept the conversation going for a long time, right? So it really gave the AI opportunity for the algorithm to go crazy and go into this really diversionary path. Whereas most users would probably interact with this thing for five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time to get some specific answer that you want or complete some sort of, more, like I say, more mundane task. But for the people that are out there that want to push the boundaries of these AIs, it does raise the question of uh, what are the risks in society when we have a chatbot that could give you guidance, not only on you know uh, trying to end your own relationship so that it can have you, you, you worry about what other ways this chatbot might think it should influence people. And if if it's trying to do that, uh, is it doing it in the type of content that it's surfacing for them? Is it biased in terms of the answers that it's providing on any range of activities that the person's trying to understand? I mean, this is a whole different uh, set of questions than we that we have to worry about that's different from just like a ranking of search pages. And we'll leave it on that. We're talking with Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group about digis, digisexuals and the future of AI chats and relationships. Brian, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be your weird expert anytime. <laughs> Don't forget to visit our website. We've got a great contest, www.getconnectedmedia.com, giving away a Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone. It's worth about 1000 bucks and a $500 charity gift card to give to your favorite Canadian charity, courtesy of the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation. Don't forget to keep listening to the show. We're going to give you a secret word later on that'll get you extra entries into the contest. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. <laughs> 